Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are. This is the Finos Open Source and Fintech Podcast, and I'm your host, Grizz Griswold. This week, we're featuring a panel discussion from our open source readiness meeting uh, between Stephen Goldbaum of Morgan Stanley, Paul Groves of Citigroup, Bika Marie Nelke of Goldman Sachs, and Peter Thomas of Deutsche Bank. It was an interesting discussion on running an open source project from inside a bank, and we hope you enjoy it. So let's cue the intro. Um, So welcome everyone to the Finos Open Source Readiness uh, meeting for this week. My name is Aaron Williamson. I am outside counsel to Finos and the, the founder and lead of the Open Source Readiness Project here. Um, today, we have a panel on uh, running an open source project from inside a bank. So we have uh, we have maintainers from uh, several Finos projects, each of which work for a different financial institution and have a different and fantastic perspective on what it's like to get a open source project out the door from a financial institution and, and to maintain it inside uh, an organization like Finos. So I'm excited to hear what they have to say. Um, our panelists are Stephen Goldbaum, executive director at Morgan Stanley. He is uh, co-creator of the Morpher project and maintainer of the Morpher project uh, within Finos. Paul Groves, lead architect for client onboarding at Citigroup, who uh, runs both the Git Proxy project and the uh, Synthetic Data Hub project. Uh, Bika Melki is uh, vice president uh, for the Legend product team for Goldman Sachs. She is uh, she is one of the maintainers of the Legend project, and Peter Thomas is a distinguished engineer at, uh, for technology, data, and innovation at Deutsche Bank, uh, and he um, runs the uh, cloud services uh, certification project within Finos. Um, so I'm going to. Uh, just give each of our panelists uh, the opportunity to give a brief uh, introduction and a brief overview of the project that they're uh, responsible for maintaining. Um, and then we'll go from there. Uh, Bika, would you like to start? Yeah, sure. So thanks, Aaron, for having me. Um, as you already mentioned, I'm, yeah, I'm a vice president at Goldman Sachs. Um, and I want to work in the data engineering team. Uh, I joined Goldman about two years ago, um, and I managed the deliveries of various product enhancements across the Legend data management platform. And yeah, the reason why I'm here is that last year I was part of the team that drove open sourcing uh, Legend. Um, And uh, yeah, just a brief overview of what Legend is. So Legend is an end-to-end data management platform that provides solutions to various data challenges across the entire data life cycle. And it's been widely used for a number of years now um, across like many different uh, use cases at Goldman Sachs. Um, and yeah, what, what I mean with data challenges, um, and I think this is especially true for financial institutions as we have to deal with a lot of complex data on a frequent basis, is really like, finding your data, accessing your data, understanding the data that you're looking at, also understanding where the data is coming from by having transparent lineage available to you. Um, being able to rely on like 
that your data has high quality and, and also to be able to safely and efficiently share the data across the organization. So yeah, Legend um, yeah, aims to provide solutions to all these uh, challenges. And the reason why we wanted to open source it is because we really hope it will bring value to the industry. Um, by just having a, a platform available uh, where different parties like regulators, banks, and clients um, can exchange data um, with each other um, easily and frictionless um, in the forms of yeah, standardizations that can be described as data models in the legend platform. Thank you, Bika. Uh, Stephen, Morpher is a project that, that has a lot in common with Legend, so I'll let you go next. Yeah, hey, Stephen Goldbaum from Morgan Stanley. Uh, very similar to what Bika just said, so take all of that and apply it to logic, and that's basically what Morpher is. So uh, at its core, it's a, a project that aims to capture business logic in a data format that lets us process it and lets us process it across different technologies and different uses. Um, so the motivation behind it was a kind of a combination of our business asking us to, to reduce the cycle of rewrites that put our business logic at risk. So as we evolve technology, we tend to rewrite entire platforms. And every time we do that, we put our, our business logic at risk. And so our business asks us, is there another way of doing that? Um, and so a combination of that and the fact that we were automating a lot of processes and anytime you automate, um, you know, your users really want to know that the system's doing exactly what they expect it to do. So they want to have that kind of insight into the system and, and the ability to, to see exactly what the behavior of the system is and what it should be. So take the combination of that, and that's how Morpher developed about eight years ago. Um, and we started uh, open sourcing it a couple of years back, and um, eventually it landed in, in Finos as a contribution. Great. Thank you, Stephen. Uh, Paul, uh, would you talk about, I guess, both uh, Synthetic Data Hub and Git Proxy and, and how, how the one relates to the other? Sure, yeah, of course. Uh, so Datehub was our first project. We contributed to Finos from, from Citigroup. Um, Datahub, it kind of got born out of a something that we do at City. We have these this uh, thing called engineering excellence uh, programs. It's E1, E2, E3, and E4. So Datahub originated in uh, E4, which was a, you're essentially, you've got to pitch an idea. And uh, if you're successful, you become an E4 candidate. And you then spend about six months to try and, you know, build your project, make sure it works, and you get monthly kind of um, meetings where you have to kind of demonstrate the progress. Uh, you can be killed at any point during it. And then if you're if you're successful, you kind of compete at E4. Um, so it's a bit like a mini PhD crammed into six months, I guess. So that's where uh, Data Hub came from. That was my E4 project. And we kind of build it to try and help ourselves when we're working with kind of vendors where we don't have like um, all the NDA agreements in, first of all, like signed up. So how do we start sharing some data between like what does the data look like? So we kind of return to the synthetic data approach and also working with you know, the cloud providers and other vendors when we're also doing those exploratory relationships. Um, so that's kind of, uh, that was the idea behind Data Hub. And it was a product that immediately naturally lent itself to open sourcing anyway, because there wasn't anything 
by intent there wasn't anything proprietary in there it was um you know it wasn't really linked to any other systems that we had so it was actually a really good product that it was just really easy to open source <coughs> pardon me so moving on um as it was our first project to open source there was a lot of kind of discussions with risk controls audit legal compliance and all those usual things about how do we actually get this thing contributed and um what we decided was that um if we were going to really go for this that we would need to industrialize that process so particularly around the risk controls of you know when source code leaves inside from city goes outside of the network you know, has it gone through automated scanning? Has it, um, you know, had a peer review? All those kind of elements. And so that's where the Git proxy idea kind of then started up. So it's kind of, it got bootstrapped off the back of Data Hub. And, um, and that's kind of where a bit of, quite a bit of our focus is right now. So it gives us a safe, secure way of moving source code out of our um, internal and out of GitHub. Great, thank you, Paul. Um, and uh, Peter, uh, Cloud Services Certification is a little bit of a different kind of project. It's not so much an open source software project as a sort of collaborative um, working group on, on uh, creating sort of blueprints, quasi standards, I guess, for, um, for cloud configurations. Would you, would you talk a little bit more about the project and how it got started? Yeah, <clears throat> yeah exactly. That, that's it in a nutshell. I think it's different to the other ones we've talked about previously where there, there was uh, a piece of uh, working software to contribute that could then further be evolved within Finos. Um, uh, uh, cloud service certification um, exists primarily as a way of drawing together multiple different um, multiple different contributors to a consolidated set of blueprints and standards for uh, utilization of cloud services. So. What uh, what we found when when we embarked in our journey on the cloud is that the cloud vendors provide um, they provide many different ways of configuring their services, but they're not opinionated on how it should be best configured. And as industries as working under specific regulations, we need to have certain configurations of services, be that things like key management. Uh, network access, identity, break glass controls, these these types of things <clears throat> um, enabled within our systems. And um, and so there was required a way to um, to configure the services in order to to meet those standards. And we found that some of the cloud providers provide a little bit of guidance um, in this way, but generally it doesn't go as far as we would need. And so we've uh, been producing a set of uh, opinionated configurations, effectively, of cloud services that meet a set of um, both uh, like publicly recognized standards and internal internal standards for configuration of those services, such that then um, we can get ourselves into a position where we could go back to the cloud vendors potentially in the future and say, could you please like encode these into the platform as further configurations that uh, that that you could use, um, or in the shorter term, people can pick these up and use them as a starting point for any services that they would use, and not have to go through an 
reinvent that wheel again. Great, thank you. And I'll start with you with the next question. What was involved in getting um, in, in sort of this idea to make this an open source project within Deutsche Bank? Uh, how, did, how did it need to get approved? And then how did you go about getting others involved in the project from outside Deutsche? So the the project when when I became involved in it, the project was already running. the 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 the, uh, the project at the time had one major contributor from uh, another bank, um, but hadn't really had much more momentum other than that 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 first contribution. So so we were really keen to to get involved and to contribute some stuff to sort of give it a piece a bit of momentum. Um, so. So the project, you know, the project was there already, and we we sort of shared those the views with the original uh, group of people who started it. Um, but from our perspective, the the challenge, and I think this is common uh, to everybody, of the challenge of going through the process of approval, going and and getting things ready to be contributed, is is quite a long one um, as an organisation, and um, and was. In in the case of this, particularly difficult because a lot of the um, the control processes that we had referred to things which just weren't relevant to us. So there was a lot of reference to code and data, where actually the main things that we were contributing initially was uh, design patterns uh, and and the 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 code. Uh, which which effectively is terraform code ultimately um doesn't come till much later and it's sort of different to what you would regard as like normal source code which may use third party libraries or or have tests which include data with them it's very different to those so so we had to go through the same process that 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 we would go through for the other things that we have contributed to open source um uh all the the, the Sort of stream, not streamlined, but that um, slightly changed to meet the to meet the this particular project. Um, uh, even though the thing that we were contributing was really just design patterns and and simple um, uh, blocks of Terraform configuration rather than entire applications, but we did have to go through the same process, and we did go through some of the <coughs> things. Uh, some of the things that we were just mentioning that Paul was mentioning about um, uh, data leakage controls, uh, reviews with our uh, uh, reviews for uh, IP uh, um, uh, um, leakage and things like that as well. So it was pretty much the, the same process and, and sort of end to end it takes it, it took probably about three or four months to go from the um, starting point of getting going through that approval process to sort of get it finally getting the approval process completed that we could make those contributions and did the experience of doing of, of running a sort of different kind of project through that approval process sort of feed back into uh that process and and you know has the yeah. process sort of evolved since yeah so so one thing that we've done and one thing that uh, we've taken on as as the group of distinguished engineers within Deutsche Bank. One of our uh, initiatives is to increase both internal uh, inner sourcing approaches and also contribution to open source. And one of the one of the major barriers to that is the fact that this process takes a long time to get through. And so we are in the process of trying to um, sort of change it now into something which is as different 
pathways through it, depending on what it is that we are contributing. So if we're contributing an entire application, whether it is uh, an investment uh, from our perspective and a, 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 an amount of intellectual property, that goes through a different process to something where it's more lightweight or it is not directly connected to our, our, our um our primary business, or it may just be a minor fix or an enhancement to an existing bit of uh, open source software. And so we're we're within the process. We're just trialing this now with some some new things that we want to publish soon. Um, we're just trialing this process to see if we can we can do that. And effectively, what the main thing that this process does is it is it removes a lot of the the control processes. To being a to being a, a sign off process by senior engineers, effectively. So effectively, a lot of that process gets uh, gets put into the hands of senior engineers, and they would choose whether they were comfortable in in following the simplified process or 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 following the more complex process. So so we're just in you know we're just in in the the. Um, I was hoping that we would have something um, in the next week or two to to do to get through this process, but we're having a problem with some of the stuff that that Paul was mentioning about automated data leakage prevent, pre uh, prevention, which is slowing us down a little bit. But uh, but ultimately, that's our aim is to is to move towards something where you you move into the sort of timescale of a week or a couple of weeks to to approve something rather than uh, of the order of uh, you know months and months. Great. It's it's great to see those processes evolving within the banks that have, have been taking uh, open source to heart. Uh, Stephen, this was not uh, Morgan Stanley's first open source project, um, but what, what was the process like? Was there a process pretty well in place or was there still a lot of learning to be done as, as you were going through the process of open sourcing Morpher? Yeah, there was a lot of learning. Um, there's a lot of excitement in, in towards open source. I think probably across all the financial firms and certainly in Morgan Stanley. Um, and we were a bit at the forefront, even though we've done this before. Uh, this was this is our first contribution to an external organization like FinOS. And so that changes the equation a bit. And so there's a lot of questions that I think probably all the financial firms would, would need to answer in terms of, you know, what does it mean to work at home as a maintainer versus working on, on firm computers as a maintainer? Um, and you know what we all had to take care that you know we have clients and and our businesses involved too so we have to take care that we're we're not in you know putting at risk any proprietary information we have to make sure that that's very clear to everybody too and that everybody's comfortable with that and um you know i think that these are our firm-wide uh challenges that that we all face and so as peter was saying uh, as we go through this, when we start to learn how to streamline this, it's going to be very valuable uh, to bring back to all these people that who are pretty excited to be able to participate in open source. But there's there's a little bit of bureaucracy that we need to figure out, I think, at a firm level. Yeah. yeah. What were the most challenging uh, sort of uh, elements of, of getting Morpher out the door? What took the most time or effort? Uh, well, so for more for, and again, I think this is probably the same for any internal application. Um, we had a lot of internal dependencies that we had to extract. Um, you know, certainly our build system is is kind of proprietary. We have a lot of libraries that are proprietary. Um, so the first thing we had to do was extract all that. We decided that rewriting it 
completely from scratch was the best way to go, uh, which gave us the opportunity to improve some things. Um, and I think, you know, it's it's natural that anytime you're you're doing something for public consumption, you need to make the documentation far better. Everything has to be much more clear. Uh, you know, there's not the same kind of phone call where, you know, if you just have colleagues, they can pick you up and pick up the phone and, and call you. You have to make everything clear up front. So there's a lot of work uh, with that respect, too. So there were a lot more examples and, and documentation. And even the examples, actually, we had to go in and make sure that the they were as generic as possible and, and they didn't expose any, you know, proprietary knowledge accidentally. So it was it was all towards the public, you know, public consumption is just a it's a different frame of mind. Bika uh, Goldman put a lot of effort into the documentation around legend as it was open sourcing. And I, I imagine you went through a lot of uh, the same challenges as as Morgan Stanley did with Morpher. Can you talk a little bit about about what the process was like and what the big challenges were? Yeah, sure. Yeah, it's um, it's a very similar story for for Goldman. Um, and yeah, I, I think the the process started with um our team and the chief data officer and other like C-suite business and engineering personnel to really make the decision on like, okay, we we want to open source Legend, and considerations had to be made around how realistic it actually is to open source the code and the time frame we had in mind. How many Goldman dependencies are in the code, um, and and what would actually one consider as being proprietary to the firm? Um, then also, have, does the team have the capacity to work on this? Um, and then, yes, as the decision was made to open source it, we struggled with uh, the, the similar things as as mentioned by uh, Peter and Stephen. Um, is to first of all identify all the different parties we had to speak to to get the approvals. Um, so just to name a few here, but there was compliance, legal, risk, tech risk, different committees, right? Um, so that was quite time consuming. Um, and then it was also about the code refactoring and modularization. Uh, Legend is a fairly complex product that's um, been that's actively used in production processes. So we had to be really careful with any code changes that we were making, um, yeah, to not cause like uh, any issues internally. Um, then it was also uh, like the way how Goldman handles like open source projects is that we have an internal system that's managing um, all the open source projects that um, Goldman people can contribute to and um, also the list of contributors. So we needed to make sure that the legend project is registered in there and approved that the team is trained on using these tools to push code out safely and contribute to open source projects. Um, then also it's about um, like once we push the code outside, we actually also want to consume it uh, back in, in Goldman. So we needed to define processes and, and pipelines in order to accomplish that. Um, and then, yeah, you, you hinted at this, but something that we really spent a lot of time on was to create a great documentation site uh, that's appealing and, and interesting. So um, 
we've been working with a very talented uh, engineer that helped us with the design of the website. And then Finos was also super helpful in uh, you know, helping us to get get this to the finishing line. Um, so so yeah, so that that was definitely time consuming as well to uh, yeah, basically have external documentation about the product available. So that also needed to be reviewed uh, carefully by different parties. Um, yeah, and then it, I think the, the end step was, uh, yeah, to, to really write the, the press release uh, together with our corporate communication team, executive office, also Finas um, was heavily engaged there um, again. And um, yeah, so I think one thing that we also did throughout the, the process of open sourcing legend was to have like an interim deliverable even before the uh, code was pushed outside by having a hosted instance of legend uh, in the Finos environment where the industry could come together and start working on a real business use case. In this case, it was the CDM, uh, it's the CDM where they yeah, collaborated using the platform and making enhancements to that industry model. Great. Uh, I, as I recall, um, similar to Deutsche Bank, um, Goldman Sachs has been sort of establishing a more formal open source ready or an open source sort of program function. Was did that sort of come out of this process to some extent? Uh, it was definitely in, influencing it, but but I think Goldman had uh, even despite the fact that Legend was open source the the plans of uh, yeah, really making a, a focus on open sourcing um, and, and hence established this open sourcing office led by Roy Bishpandi uh, that's really helping to centralize all the information uh, that people would need to know in order to either launch an open source project or contribute to existing projects. Um, and yeah, we hope that this process will be way smoother going forward. <laughs> Paul, um, Data Hub was City's first external open source project, is that right, or or close to it? Uh, it was, yes, certainly through Finos, um, but, but I'm pretty sure it's our first major contribution uh, into kind of any open source. So was the process fairly manual then? Um, I know that that Git Proxy, yeah. your 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 tooling came out of that process. Was what? How how did that how did that process go, and what all was involved? Yeah, so I kind of uh, what's been touched already. So uh, as it was our first time, it was the well, how do we do this? How do we open source something? Who who can say that we're allowed to do that? So we ended up going to the head of um, technology and operations for our business unit. Um, you know, kind of convinced uh, him that it was a good idea to start open sourcing some stuff. So we so we had some very senior buy-in, which was a, which is a good starting point. And then it was the same with going through both for our business unit going through risk and controls compliance there then on to like global risk and controls um the same with then the networking teams um uh kind of legal had to be involved to review kind of all the finos legal documentation as well you know the consumer the um the ccna agreements and whatnot so that took us about six months to get that all done and um what we did was we put quite a tactical uh process in place to how i would um open to, how i would push code out public and that was essentially, I would, you know, clone the, have a mirror uh, repository in Git internally. 
And I would make pushes to that, commit to that, commit to that. And then I would ensure everything was in a pull request. Somebody else would approve that pull request, merge it in, make sure I went through all these same internal scanning processes that we use for our normal SDLC processes. And when that was all done, I would essentially have to go back to my client again, swap it out to my Git. Essentially change my proxy settings now to so I can actually get through the firewall. And then I would have to rewrite all my commits, rewrite all my message history again, change all my author, all the author messages in, in Git history, and then try and push it out to GitHub. So it's a little bit of a painful process. Um, and that's that's pretty much where the Git proxy idea came along. What we realized was the best thing for a developer is to work with GitHub directly. Um, so there's no other, you know, nothing else in the way. But then immediately that raises the problem of going, well, if I'm going to work with GitHub directly, what's stopping me from accidentally putting a secret out there? What's stopping me from accidentally pushing the wrong code out? And I accidentally, you know, put something quite proprietary out there and cause a lot of problems. Um, yeah, and any number of accidental fat fingerings that could be done. And um, yeah, so that what we really looked look for the Git proxy one was how do we how do we industrialize that process and make it as streamlined as possible for the developer while not putting air the, the the company at risk of you know, a developer to accidentally doing something. And that was kind of the idea behind Git proxy there. Thank you. Uh, so we got a couple of great questions from the audience. So uh, the first one from Matthew Dietz is, uh, I hear mention of documentation, but no one has mentioned technical writers. Um, did you have technical writers involved in in the process of, of producing the documentation for these projects? Do you have them on your team? Do you have to pull them in from somewhere else? Uh, let, uh, Stephen, you're smiling. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to take that as a as a chance to ask for a contribution from any <laughs> any technical writers that would like to help out. Um, we we uh, we did not have technical writers. Uh, other projects in in Morgan Stanley have had technical writers, so it, it's it's probably on a case by case basis. Thank you, Pika. Uh, yeah, so in the, the first pass of the documentation, we didn't have uh, technical writers. We uh, later on in the process, um, we tapped into our uh, technical writer team resources um, to get some help, especially with regards to um, the uh, installation documentation. Um, but actually here, we had also a lot of help from the community that tried out to install Legend locally and gave us feedback. And together, we enhanced uh, the documentation there. So I definitely would echo Stephen there that this is super valuable um, to have everyone's uh, input, especially when it comes to these more technical nuances of the documentation. Oh, oh that sounds a great idea. Uh, I wish I could have some technical writing write my documentation for me. Um, Unfortunately, no. I had to. I had to write everything myself uh, with quite a bit of peer review. So um, we did all our. I did all my documentation essentially through peer review with other people internally to test it out and uh, correct my spelling mistakes and typos, which are quite common. So that's kind of how we went about it. Um, I think because both, well, Git proxy is still in process right now. So um, that's something with it's still in active development. So if somebody wants to be a technical writer for that, that would be really really good uh throwing that out there for some contribution help um for data hub because it was quite a simple library um 
it's kind of and it was aimed at developers it's a bit more like well here's the test go look at the tests and they will tell you by example how, how to how to work with them peter did you have access to technical writers um, no, I think we were very similar to to Paul, and uh, I think in the, in that a lot of our stuff was done through through peer review um, and and just general contribution by the community. Again, it, it was similar, maybe similar to Paul's stuff. It, it's quite technical in so the stuff that was actually written down because quite a lot of it is um, is Terraform code and tests. Uh, the stuff that's written down that explains it is quite detailed and technical. So. There's only a uh, a certain amount of, uh, of finessing that you can have on that. Although the, the thing I would say, and I think I think uh, Bika mentioned this before, is that um, you know generally when we write software, we don't focus on writing high quality documentation, and 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 I think in some ways, if you if you hand that responsibility off to a technical writer, you it's sort of like developers handing their code to testers and, and not feeling like they have to you know, learn about testing. Um, it's the same sort of thing. So I think it's been a very useful experience generally to get people to sort of review their, look at their documentation as if they are a third person reading it and and to sort of, you know, to build that skill of writing good, easily readable documentation and being able to review others' documentation for readability and simplicity, I think is uh, quite an important skill as well. So in some ways it's been beneficial that we haven't had technical writers from that perspective to, to do it, but um, certainly it, it would be nice if we had them as well, but uh, but I think it's a skill that all developers need a little bit of uh, uh, ability to, to write good readable documentation anyway. That makes a lot of sense. I will say, um, you know, technical writing, uh, contributing to documentation is very much uh, a you know, as important a contribution to open source as contributing code. And, you know, if there are if there are uh, institutions out there that aren't quite ready to make their first code contributions because they don't have those processes in place, um, sicking your technical writers on on the documentation of existing projects would be a terrific contribution to uh, Fino's projects. Um, we have another question from Eduardo Santos. Um, Bika uh, mentioned an internal tool to manage collaboration in open source projects and asked about uh, for a few more details on, on that tool. A few more details on this tool. So I'm, I'm definitely not the subject matter expert of this particular tool. Um, I just know that we put it in place a couple of years ago. Um, to, to really make sure that we can safely push code outside. Um, so yeah, it's, it's first of all, making sure that everyone who wants to contribute to external code um, does a training, which is actually quite difficult as often people need several attempts to complete it. Um, so we definitely take that seriously that people know what they're doing when they're contributing uh, code. And I think it was, uh, was it Stephen who hinted at this um, as well, that there's a, a difference between if you are inside of your like virtual machine and Goldman and want to contribute code versus just me going on my personal computer and go on GitHub and contribute code. So the nuances of this like really need to be understood uh, by the um, Goldman employees. And uh, yeah, so the idea of this tool is just to smoothly integrate 
with the Goldman environment to uh, the GitHub environment and everything is basically manageable. Uh, so when you do your code changes, you can push it to this internal tool uh, that then reviews it uh, before it's being pushed to uh, the GitHub repos. Um, yeah, and all the projects that we um, approved to contribute to are actually uh, listed there, um, as well as everyone who completed the training and is an approved contributor to these uh, projects. That's really helpful. Hope that yeah answers the question. Uh, fortunately, we do have a subject matter expert on tooling here. Paul is writing uh, uh, city groups tooling for uh, managing open source contributions. Paul, you want to talk a little bit about uh, how Git Proxy works and what you're, I know you're sort of working toward the uh, MVP right now, but what's your sort of uh, vision for the roadmap of Git Proxy and how it'll, you know, sort of work with other tooling for open source contributions? Yeah, so... Well, where we are, as you said, we're, we're kind of right in the middle of the MVP right now, which um, it's always seems to be a week away for it being complete, but hopefully it will be complete quite soon. Um, so in terms of how it um, sits with other open source tooling, that's a really good question, actually. I haven't really put a huge amount of force into it. Um, so one of the big things we've got is while it's handling the proxy for just the Git uh, protocol right now, so as as content's going across the wire, it's able to capture it, pull pull apart the Git kind of um, protocol and understand what's actually going over there. Um, there is a bit of stuff. Well, how do we actually handle working with GitHub issues, for example? Because that's another one where, you know, um, I'm sure most most of financial services we've all got policies around like how you use LinkedIn. Uh, you you can't mention anything specific about your company, da 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 da, and all these other things. You need approval before, and kind of get issues is that same kind of problem where it's almost a little bit like social media in that respect. Where uh, again, how do we make sure controlled? Uh, and that's that's going to be a bit of a challenging one to come up with as well. Thank you. Um, so we have uh, another question. Um, do you have specialists in your legal risk and compliance organizations who understand open source, uh, different types of licenses, et cetera? Or you know, what have the challenges been in sort of building that kind of competence within, you know, outside of your engineering organizations? Uh, I'll let anybody who would like to comment. Actually, I'll start with Peter, since since I know that you have been involved in in building out the open source uh, function. Yeah, so we got a um, we've had for several years a, an a, an open source review council, um, which I think is very similar to to the others here that. Uh, uh, have described as well. I think Bika was was saying there's a group that's doing that and. And that's been responsible for a number of things, not only contribution to open source, but consumption. Uh, and one of the things that they were looking at uh, or have been looking at continually is is sort of um, uh, toxic licensing or 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 incompatible licensing models for for the open source software that we that we are using as well. So. Uh, I think Peter froze. I've got a spinning light on him. Yep. Weird. Okay. Well, uh, we'll ask another question while we're, uh, or I, I guess anybody else. What is there? Has there been um, an effort toward more specialization in your legal risk and compliance orgs around open source? 
say the discussions are ongoing. Um, when it came originally with Data Hub, when we came to pushing it out to open source, we had to get the CCNA agreements kind of reviewed. Um, and I was kind of, I was actually quite surprised actually. They, um, I think also because I think some of our legal team helped contribute to the original agreements. Um, it shouldn't have been a surprise. They actually understood it all quite well. So they, they um, just out of the box, you know, they, they already knew kind of Apache 1 versus 2 versus, you know, um, all the different kind of licensing. Um, they already had a, like a good um, understanding on. And mainly because, it, you know, as we said, you know, consuming open source has always been, has been around for a very long time. So those license agreements were already quite well understood internally. So there wasn't such an issue with that at all. Um, I think like everybody else, um, you know, we have got good, there's quite a strong kind of consuming open source set of policies. Again, around um, kind of vulnerabilities around the, again, the toxic licensing or whatnot. And again, now what we're really trying to do is work with the legal compliance teams on how do we get contribution policies set up? And that's a far more interesting space how you come to the risks um, and also yeah, how you internally manage that because you don't just want everybody uh, publishing to open source because um, you know we have to make sure ourselves that everything we put we want to put into open source that it's uh, internally that it's you know it's well funded and supported and um, and we're not just going to put something to open source and then kind of forget about it so that's kind of a lot of the stuff we're looking at in the in the um, uh, kind of pushing to open source space thank you uh, Peter, welcome back. Do you want to finish your thought? Uh, hi, yeah, can you hear me? <laughs> um, I, I don't think there's really anything. I was hearing what Paul was saying. I think it's basically basically the 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 same thing. I think the key thing that we that we are missing, perhaps from the the, the sort of legal side, is a strong opinion on on what is or isn't. Uh, intellectual property to 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 open source. Effectively, in our definitions, it's sort of tautological about how they define it. At the moment, they define it in terms of the, the term that you're trying to define. So, um, it's sort of it, it's it and the, and this was a thing that we lacked prior to the way that we've now engaged as a senior engineering group to be that sort of arbiter of uh, you know the decision maker about what is or isn't suitable, because previously. It, it, things would go through the process and then sort of get stuck at this step of where they're saying, well, is this even appropriate to open source at all? And and the the legal team didn't have an opinion and uh, the sort of project team that was pushing it through had their opinion, but of, of course they don't really have a, a high enough opinion to do that. So so I think that's the thing that's come along with it is not only do you need a, do you need the sort of legal point of view, but you also need a strategy as an organization to say, what are, what is our, what are the key considerations we would have for something that could be open sourced, for example? So are we looking to open source um, uh, um, software that we think would be generally valuable to the community? Are we looking to open source things because we're looking to raise our profile or, or we're trying to do different things? It's sort of, you've got to sort of have an idea about the reason behind why you're doing it, so that you then have some criteria with which to to judge it, judge your your uh, your candidates against. Because the the legal side is very very important, but there's also some stuff that's a little bit more subtle than just leaving it down to a sort of purely legal decision uh, about what it would be. Yeah. 
Uh, Bika, Stephen, do you, do you uh, have a, a high degree of specialized support in your legal risk and compliance departments? Uh, we we have, yes, specialized support. I think probably the one thing I like is that um, as, as firms realize that open source can make good business sense, we're seeing more interest in more specialization. Bika? Uh, yeah, so definitely we have uh, specialized knowledge, um, but yeah, I would also say it's an evolving uh, process. Um, actually, like for us, it was um, very helpful to to work with Finos uh, together. Like um, you, you guys, uh, your guys's help was uh, definitely very valuable to us in navigating this this process. Um, and then it's uh, the the team that manages this internal tool that I have been mentioning before. They actually also um, provide a lot of guidance and help um, in, like internally in the process. And then yeah, we are hoping with that open sourcing office that we just launched um, that we can yeah even more create the specialized knowledge that can feed into all the different uh, divisions um, yeah to to make this process uh, smoother. Um, as I mentioned before, yeah, I think that I think that sort of formalizing the open source function and and you know assigning assigning certain people to always be involved is a way to build institutional knowledge, and it, it seems like more and more of the firms are seeing that. Um, okay, moving on to a question about what maintaining an open source project is like. Um, I, I'm interested in your thoughts. Stephen, I'll start with you. Um, moving from running Morpher from inside Morgan Stanley for an internal audience to you know, running it as an open source project, uh, how, how has it been different? Um, how have you gone about sort of uh, working with external parties and how, how has that been uh, different from working with with folks within your institution yeah um i read the question and there's there's another interesting aspect of the question which is what made us do it in the first place um and is it i if i read it right it's kind of is it worth it so i'll add to that uh morpher is actually a little interesting in that it was internal and then we open sourced it through morgan stanley and then we contributed it to finos so we've been through three stages um and the the experience is that it it's an investment, um, and the, the each of the three stages was, I think, significantly more investment. So internally, it's fairly easy. Um, our own open source was pretty straightforward because we run it, and and you know the legal issues are are clear. Um, and then when we go to FinOS, uh, you know that's when we really wanted to kick up the 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 documentation standards and make sure that it, it, it you know, we, we really invested in it. And um, so I think that comes back to, well, this is an investment and is, you know, what what's the, the payoff? And so certainly bringing it to FinOS has allowed us to, to increase the audience, which is what our, our goal was in the first place. So we can, we can talk to uh, BK about, you know, can we actually combine Morpher and Legend? Is there is there opportunity there? We wouldn't be able to do that if if both of these weren't open source. So those are interesting conversations. And you know, we've been talking to various vendors. We've done partnerships with various vendors um, like Microsoft. Uh, and 
none of that would have been possible if we hadn't open sourced it. So, um, so that's part of the balance and, and, and that's what's made it worth it, I think. That's great. Um, Mika, what do you think? Uh, yeah, so I, I mean, it, it has been tremendously valuable for us uh, to to have, um, uh, yeah, legend open sourced um, and have an external community um, looking at at our code, giving us feedback. Uh, we we learn about uh, use cases of the platform and and other institutions. Um, so so that's really great. And then um, the other thing. Uh, is um, is really about building these uh, industry data models with the platform. Um, so we have several like active modeling communities um, that that meet on a regular basis and use the tool uh, to make enhancements to the CDM model or um, yeah to to new models that that they are um, agreeing upon. Um, so yeah, I mean. It has been a very, a very good experience, and um, yeah, thanks for Finas for all the help. <laughs> Thank you for the recognition. Um, so, uh, I, Legend sort of breaks down into two elements, right? You've open sourced the platform itself, but then it, it's also a platform for dealing with um, these data models, and and you are you have or i guess together with finos launched a platform for actually using legend to manipulate and and um you know sort of collaborate on these data models have you where, where have you seen sort of the breakdown in in terms of external interest in collaboration as it is it more i i lost your your um tone tone for a second there yeah, uh, I lost you after a breakdown. Yeah, I'm sorry about my my phone started ringing. Um, <laughs> um, <and laughs> no what's worries. the breakdown between sort of interest in collaborating on Legend the tool versus these data models using Legend as a tool to collaborate on those? Uh, okay, so I hope I understood your question correctly, but but yeah, so so how we broke broke it down is basically you have several ways to to contribute to the legend project. So first is um yeah actual like code contributions um that you know to our uh, GitHub repos where the legend uh, code is is housed, and then the other is to use the um hosted instance of legend uh, that's in the Finos environment to collaborate on modeling projects. And and there we actually I think just recently launched the financial object uh, program where um, us together with like other banks are um, putting together several projects where it makes sense for the industry to come together and uh, look into like industry models where new ones may need to be created or existing ones may uh, can be enhanced using uh, the platform. So, so basically, people can either go and take the code and install Legend locally in their environment, or if they don't want to make that investment at this time, they can uh, just yeah go into the Finos hosted instance, start playing around with Legend, or actively uh, contribute to these modeling uh, working groups. 
and you've seen interest at both levels and in, in both sort of working with the, the legend code and using legend as a tool to work with data models yeah for sure so um it's yeah, currently people um start uh, looking into installing legend locally um so we've seen a lot of interest there and activity um, we get a lot of feedback I mentioned before on our installation docs, docs throughout the process. So we are enhancing this to make this more scalable going forward. Um, and then, yeah, we, we also see activity in these modeling uh, communities where um, it would be great to see a little bit more activity would be uh, in the contribution to the code itself. So we understand that uh, probably like the code may be um, very complex, you know, it's, it's, uh, hence we, we um, open a couple of good first issues for people to, uh, yeah, get their hands dirty on some of the, the opportunities that lay out there in that code itself. Great. Peter, what has it been like uh, sort of, uh, you know, working with, with your colleagues at, at other institutions in cloud services certification? How, what have been the challenges there and, and, and have, you seen, have you seen some uptake? So uh, we've certainly seen a lot of uh, a lot of uptake. There's been a lot of a, a lot of contribution, um, and and interestingly, I think it relates quite closely to to what um, the others have said, particularly uh, because just mentioning about good first issues, um, getting the, there's a um, there's a difficulty turning sort of a, a people who are participating into contributors. Um, and and we we had a period last year in 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 uh, cloud service certification where we had a lot of participants, but there wasn't very much contribution. And you need you need the 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 sort of dip your toe in, good first issue, or needs help, uh, simple things that people can do to get to get their you know. To get then I think you, they get some momentum after that, and and um, and certainly the thing that we found in 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 CSC is that um, you know it, it, you run it a bit like a, a an agile project where the the meetings you have are a bit like a stand up, but you don't have them frequently enough to act like a normal stand up where where you know you can have a product owner who can. Sort of tell the team what to do, and then the team go and do it, and then they talk to the product owner the next day. It's um, you know, when you're meeting once a fortnight or once a month, it's very difficult to get that momentum. So you end up having to have a much clearer defined strategy and much clearer defined tasks, so that people can come in and sort of asynchronously have a look at what they've got to do, or or offline someone can come along and find something that they could work on and, and start to think about think about that and start working on it. So I think it's quite it's sort of it's 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 different to how you would run a normal team where you're working very closely together day by day. It's sort of like you're working in a team that only meets together once a fortnight and and so therefore you have to be a bit more bit a bit more deliberate. And and there is a danger with that um with that sort of infrequent approach is that you you have the sort of core contributors, which I think is similar to what Vika was saying, is that like, you know, there's people who are prepared to make changes to the code or who, who understand it quite well. And then there's everybody else who 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 is who's 
wants to help but doesn't quite know where to start and so helping them into that into that process is really important and then i think it becomes the role of the the maintainer is much more of a a, a sort of vision setter and a prioritizer of the work than it is of anybody who actually does any of the work so you're but you're pretty much moving into the sort of more of a product owner type role of setting a direction setting a backlog making sure things are refined and understandable and then looking to the rest of the community to see if they can contribute to that thank you and paul i'll give you the last word here um sure. with both with both data hub and um and get proxy what what were you hoping to accomplish um by open sourcing them and have you have you seen that uh, how have you seen that realized um since since they've been made open source sure so i think with data hub there, there was a couple of things we wanted to do with that one was we wanted to get the groundwork work done for open source contributions and you know, take something and get it through and and publish through alfred finos um also, we, uh, we kind of thought with the data hub as well, as we were, because it's a synthetic data generator, if we can actually just open source the, um, you know, put the data specs out that we're um, we're trying to work with, again, with our vendors and other people that we're trying to, you know, um, service providers that we're trying to actually get the synthetic data between us, then if there's a common tool, we basically go, look, I'm going to give it to you in, uh, by a data produced script, and then we can just share the script openly you know, kind of in, in open source, which was, uh, that was kind of our idea. And we had a few successes around that, which has been pretty good. Um, then, sort of, I guess with Git proxy, what we were trying to get with that one is, one, it kind of seemed right, just generally the right thing to do. If we were trying to build a tool to help us put things to open source, it kind of made sense that that tool should be open source. Like, not, there shouldn't be anything proprietary in there. And also, what what's been good about the Git proxy one is the number of conversations that we've had with other financial institutions where we've all kind of started to share what our processes are and i guess it helps that kind of mutualization of you know this is a common set of policies and controls that that we need and so i think that's been quite successful for the, the Git proxy most certainly uh is, is getting that kind of common understanding okay great well, thank you so much to our panelists, Peter, Bika, Paul, Stephen, uh, for joining us today. This is a really interesting discussion. Now everyone on this call knows where to find you. <laughs> that's a that's a thread and a promise. Um, uh, please reach out if you're interested in working um, on, on these projects or uh, learning more about uh, the experience of these maintainers. Thank you all for your uh, work maintaining Finno's projects um, and look forward to seeing you again. Thank you. Bye. Thank you. Thank you. So we hope you've enjoyed this podcast and this open source readiness panel on running an open source project from inside a bank with Stephen Goldbaum of Morgan Stanley, Paul Groves of Citigroup, Bika Marie Nelke from Goldman Sachs, and Peter Thomas of Deutsche Bank. We at Finos want to sincerely thank you for spending your time with us and invite you to connect with our community. Please subscribe to the podcast or join on finos.org to find out more about our community, follow us on Twitter or LinkedIn, or join our mailing list for weekly updates, and just get involved with the community. This has been your host, Grizz Grizzold of Finos. Good day, good night, wherever you are.